Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Where did we get our ideas about an afterlife? If there is a heaven, is it the same for everyone? What does heaven mean, anyway? Hello there, and welcome to the 251st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and the second of our two shows on the subject of heaven. I'm Ben, and the originator of those probing questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we go on this this extravagant journey of probing the questions of heaven and all that, we are going to get to our paranormal contest. So last week's question was, in what year did an apparent sky battle between UFOs occur over the Russian city of Saustrovka? And the answer is 1989. In September 16th, 1989, to be precise, respected Russian UFO investigator Nikolai Sabotin claims that hundreds of people in and around Zastrovka watched a group of six silver UFOs fight against one gold UFO. The craft also sounds like the International Monetary System. Uh, the craft all supposedly made incredible moves in the skies, at times flying as low as 5,000 feet, giving a good view to onlookers. Uh, supposedly, beams of red light constituted what appeared to be the weapon of choice. Uh, he didn't say who won, but despite the source, there are some who doubt the story. Well, nobody got the answer, uh, much to our surprise. So <laughs> let's try something else. This, this week's question is: What uh, does or where does the lake monster known as Illy live? So uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Illy. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, get it right and win a copy of my dad's book, "Turning Home: Gods, Ghosts, and Human Destiny." I always put an S in front of God. You're polytheist at heart. No. So. Call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. And if nobody gets the answer before the end of the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. So is there a heaven? If so, what is it? Where is it? Is it a place or a state of being? Or is it both? Is it personal or does one size fit all? Do you have to die to get there? Does your soul, quote, go to heaven, or is there more to it than that? Do animals have a heaven? Do animals have souls? What is a soul, anyway? Were you in heaven before you were conceived? This is the second of our two shows to consider these questions. Last time, here on uh, ON, 1240 AM, on April 25th, which was a really long time ago, we looked at the most uh, ancient ideas of heaven, from the Australian Aborigines all the way up to early Christians. What we found was that in almost all cultures, ancient ideas of heaven were very much a continuation of this life. Even with the early Christians, it was considered a very physical condition. In most cases, there was very little separation between the physical and the spiritual. We also discussed how things got to where they are today with people, people who think like Europeans and Americans anyway, considering the afterlife in general and heaven in particular to be a completely spiritual state where your soul goes after you die. And we took a side trip down memory lane, meeting those pesky Zoroastrians who had a tremendous influence on Christianity and on our modern ideas about the afterlife. The last question on the April 25th show was, okay, so what is heaven for Christians? 
We're going to leave that for later because so many listeners consider themselves Christians in one form or another, and it's a very, very, very complicated subject. All right, Dad, so where do we start? Well, we still have to look at the Hindus, the Buddhists, and the Muslims uh, and their ideas about heaven. Let's do that, and then we can look at modern Christian ideas, or at least what theology says they should be, and what they actually are among the rank and file. Now, Hindu is a European term given to the large collection of related but different and very ancient religions practiced in and around India. It does not have an agreed-upon set of doctrines shared by all its adherents. It is polytheistic, with a number of gods recognized, but it's also pantheistic. And that means it has a basic view that God is everything, and everything is God. Well, they actually say that all the gods are different faces of that of one god. Well, that's true. Polytheism is often gets a bum rap in the modern era, because people... Associated don't with pagans. Yeah, well, pagan is, is sort of a Christian term, actually. Uh, and a lot of polytheists actually worship one god, really. Uh, but in, there are a number of forms that, that, t- that this god takes depending on the powers being exercised, whether it be in nature or whatever. So uh, you will hear Hindus talk about god rather than the gods and everything else. And there's a certain understanding they have that, that we don't. Anyway, common beliefs among Hindus include a remnant of the very ancient idea of the Trinity. It's something that keeps popping up. Uh, we talked about that last time. Uh, they have with a, a sort of three-in-one god known as Brahman, composed of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Hey. What? Oh, sorry. You're supposed to say something here. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I thought you were going on because there's more to well, talk I tend about to do here. That. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, that's the wrong page. That's all right. Well, uh, yeah. There's just I, I don't so I'll many papers. It's Hindus, so long. We're so. giving away how we do things. All right, here. so Hindus all also talk about karma, the universal law that good brings good and bad brings bad. Everything you do or think has consequences because of karma. This can affect you in life or in another. Yeah, and, and you want to talk about karma? Please pitch in because you know you you know a lot about that. Well, so, I just uh, call March Karma Month. That's basically all I do. I don't really know much about it. I mean, the most experience I have like with Hinduism is just studying it in school. That's about yeah. it. Well, but what Karma Month? What do you, hey, March was a very hard month for you. It's always a hard. It's a hard month for everybody. Yeah. Karma Month. That's it's good. March. Good term. Well. That, and it's like the Ides of March, you know, death yeah. of Caesar. Yeah, and on the 15th. Yep. I know somebody yep. whose birthday is on the 15th. Anyway, yeah, so, you know, pipe in when you want uh, right. on this. Anyway, Hindus also believe in reincarnation, as do New Agers and most other people in pop Western culture today. But Hindus consider this constant cycle of death and rebirth as a prison to be escaped from, not as some kind of a reprieve from having their precious selves go poof at death, or being some uh, sent to some kind of hell with no appeal. Yeah, so it's it's interesting how they look at it. Like when people look, people yeah, people over here look at it like it's some awesome thing. Like oh yeah, I'm going to be alive in this life. I'm yeah, gonna second be, chance. Yeah, yeah it's chance, like fourth chance. Yeah, yeah, like that. And then they look at it like it's just a horrible, horrible thing. Oh, a cycle they want to get out of. Exactly. Yeah. So Hindu, the Hindu's goal is nirvana. Uh, the bed. The better the karma you acquire during life, the better the life you will be reincarnated into later. So eventually you can escape from the whole cycle by reaching enlightenment or even godhood. Nirvana. Well, good karma can be accrued in a number of ways, especially through good works and by fulfilling your responsibilities in life. 
uh, through study and knowledge and through devotion to God or the gods. So heaven for the Hindu is a gradual journey to a state of enlightenment where you don't have to be reincarnated anymore and where you have achieved higher awareness. Now, I think there are some clear memories of the multiverse, maybe, and our journey through it in those beliefs. Even though Buddhism started in India in the 6th century BC, India is now largely Hindu, and Buddhism is predominant in one form or another in East Asia. Interestingly, Buddhism does not believe in a supreme god at all. A lot of people don't know that. And technically, it does not consider itself a religion, more of a philosophy or a way of life. Yes. So, as they often do, the common people in Asia turned it into a religion. They turned a lot of things into religion, Confucianism, Taoism, mm. and they actually mixed it all together in one great big cult well, in the, the early days, a while ago. With all due respect to our Asian friends and listeners. Yes. Yeah. So... Uh, with the enlightened people, the Buddhas oft, as, often thought of as gods instead of just teachers. Essentially, there's a temple, uh, I believe it's in Thailand, which has a statue of all these Buddhas. One of them is Abraham Lincoln. It's Abraham Lincoln, a statue of Abraham Lincoln in a Buddhist temple, because they considered him to be a Buddha, one who has reached enlightenment. A lot of people don't realize that. That's kind of interesting. All right. Buddhism is the path of choice for many New Agers in the West. When I say New Agers, I mean people who have... Uh, kind of uh, gotten on to the, it's called the New Age, uh, sort of, uh, I suppose, in, in its essence, a rather laudable attempt to uh, think about spirituality, think about God, and to do things that enhance one's relationship with each other and with the universe and spiritual growth in general. And a lot of people might say a lot of it's misguided, but I think the thought is what maybe counts there, and there are a lot of strange things that have come out of it. But when I say New Agers, I mean people who are uh, of that of that bent, let's say. It's, Buddhism is the path a lot of them have chosen, um, even if they don't make it all the way to the revived pagan beliefs that have become popular in some segments of society. Now, like Hinduism, Buddhism has many and varied branches, and they share some basic ideas. The essential belief is that we can overcome suffering and reach enlightenment, which they also call nirvana, like the Hindus do, by overcoming the passions all humans are prone to, and most specifically by following the monastic life, life in a monastery or convent, or at least by following a strict set of rules. Now, fascinatingly, attaining enlightenment in Buddhism leads not only to breaking the chain of reincarnation, as it does in Hinduism, it leads to the highest form of awareness, the complete annihilation of the self. It sounds pretty negative, but the way they treat it, it's not. With all the suffering the self is prone to, that goes with it. Something of the multiverse awareness in that, too. And I, I probably ought to mention, a lot of people don't realize that in our local listening area here in the town of Cumberland, Rhode Island, there is a Zen monastery. And the, the Providence Zen Center, as it's known, even though it's in Cumberland. Uh, yeah. and, and Ben and I have been there. They're wonderful folks, very welcoming. And every Wednesday evening, uh, I would check their website, which I, I think it's ProvidenceZenCenter.com. Yeah, I don't really get why they call it Providence because it's in the middle of Cumberland. Yeah, well, it used to be in Providence. And it's just a lovely spot, and they offer free sessions for uh, meditation, and you can go in and you don't have to pay anything, and you can uh, get some basic instruction in how to begin meditation. And it's, it's, you can join uh, the whole community later on in, in uh, meditating uh, as a larger group or whatever, but check it out, Providence Zen Center. It's a great place. So... Um, yeah, so again, I think there are kind of multiverse ideas uh, mixed in there as well. Right, it's pretty unique uh, compared to what you usually think of as heaven. Yeah, destroying the self. You know. Now we come to the Muslims, a uh, religion everybody uh, is talking uh, about. I think we got a call. Oh. 
uh, religion everybody's talking about, but which I think few people understand. Uh, by the way, uh, people often ask me why I use the term Mohammedanism instead of Islam when I refer to the religion. I got a lot of questions about that when uh, Turning Home, God, Ghost, and Human Destiny came out in 06, and people said, how come you did that? Well, I do that because, strictly speaking, Islam refers to the, official, to the overall vision of the religion, not to the religion itself, unless you are yourself a believer. It would be like referring to Christianity as heaven, or Buddhism as enlightenment. So I think it clarifies a little bit. So like Christians and Jews, Muslims believe in one God, Allah, and is simply the Arabic word for God. Now, Mohammedanism is very interesting. It was founded in the early years of the 7th century A.D. by, oddly enough, Muhammad. And here was a man of deep piety who used to go to Mount Hira, just outside modern-day Mecca in Saudi Arabia, to meditate and pray. It was at these times that he reported being harassed by demons or evil jinns, beings that Ben and I, in our paranormal work today, would call parasites. Later, Muhammad uh, believed he was approached by the angel Gabriel, who gave him the recitations that later became the Quran. Uh, the religion had a bloody early history of conquest and coercion, and that had much to do with complex relationships and blood feuds among Arab tribes at the time. Through the centuries, Mohammedanism has broken up into a number of factions and sects, as have all the other major religions. But the Muslim idea of heaven, or Jannah, is pretty consistent throughout, and furthermore is very similar to the modern pop concepts of heaven that we'll talk about later. In my opinion, it's the only religion whose official ideas are very similar to what the typical Joe and Jane on the street actually believe, oddly enough. The Muslim idea goes back to more ancient concepts of heaven as a very physical place. It has very modern ideas about immediate gratification. Muslim texts uh, describe the immortal life of the soul in heaven as happy, with no negative emotions or effects. In heaven, people wear expensive clothes, attend sumptuous banquets, and recline on couches inlaid with gold or precious stones. Inhabitants rejoice in the company of their parents, wives, and children, whom they hopefully liked in earthly life. Uh, everyone gets their own palace, built by angels out of solid gold. There was a clear... That's where all the money went... This is a clear belief, uh, there is a clear belief in the uh, general resurrection and general judgment. Uh, Muslims get to heaven if their good deeds outweigh their sins. I mean, this all probably sounds very familiar to most people. Uh, if it's the other way around, Muslims go to hell. But the more good deeds the Muslim has to his credit, the higher the level of heaven he ends up in. Some Muslim scholars have said that the lowest level of heaven is 100 times better than the greatest life on earth. The highest level is the seventh heaven, and th that, I guess, has joined our language. Everybody says, well, I was in seventh heaven. I don't know if people still say that. There was even a show called Seventh Heaven back in the called? 90s. Were they Muslims? No, no, it was that quite... Quiz show. It, no, it was, quiz show, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, the seventh heaven in which God can be seen and where anything is possible. So now we can finally talk about what Christians believe. Okay, sure. Uh, the fact is that there are almost as many official ideas about heaven as there are Christian denominations and almost as many popular ideas about heaven as there are Christians. The Bible is somewhat ambiguous on the details, so as with most Christian ideas, those about heaven can be very complex. That's why we've held this part of discussion until the last. Okay, the earliest Christians were conceived that Jesus was going to return almost immediately, bringing the kingdom of God with him. So the earliest Christian idea of heaven was a very earthly and physical one. 
But as time went by and went by and went by and Jesus didn't return as a physical earthly king, Christian ideas about everything, especially heaven, started to get more spiritual. Now, Eastern Christians, generally known by their various churches, are Syrian Orthodox, Indian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, etc., 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 are the most ancient, continuously existing Christian churches. Some of them were actually founded by St. Paul himself, like Ephesus, Greek Orthodox, and all that. And some of the earliest Christian beliefs have been preserved there. They might be ossified or loaded with the baggage of centuries, and they were heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, but those early Christian ideas are there if you'd care to look. The basic Orthodox Christian idea of heaven demonstrates the earliest spiritualization of the concept. Essentially, heaven is seen as Jesus Christ himself, not as a specific place where you go and you die. They have a very clear idea that heaven is literally life in Christ, which begins here and now, supposedly as soon as one is baptized. Now, ideally, this life in Christ grows and deepens. This is supposed to happen internally and within the Christian community at the same time, and continues past bodily death, an event that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference in one's spiritual life, except as a lesson in humility and knowing one's place. Further, there is a concept very clearly uh, that what happens while the body is dead is like what happens during ordinary sleep. The first thing you really know is that you wake up. In this case, it's waking up when Jesus Christ finally does physically return. This is seen as the general resurrection of all the dead, and a lot of religions have this, uh, as discussed in the Bible, judgment by Christ, then eternal life with him on a renewed earth, or condemnation to the other place. If you're already living the life in Christ, you're pretty much all set. Now, beyond this, the Orthodox uh, preserve a crucial idea that Western Christians have mostly forgotten. In the Greek, we're, in the Greek it's theosis, and that literally means becoming a god. It's an ancient pagan idea that was Christianized, and a lot of pagan ideas were Christianized. Uh, early on, because they believed it fit with many of Christ's sayings and with the modus operandi of the Holy Spirit in the writings of the apostles Peter and Paul. It's the result of, quote, partaking of the divine nature, unquote. Now, in the 4th century, St. Athanasius of Alexandria, who was just on TV before we left the house in the History Channel for some reason, uh, he summed up the whole idea this way, quote, God became man that man might become God, unquote. Pretty different from what you hear in most churches today. And in fact, I, I've heard some Western Christians who were horrified by this. You know, aren't we evil and rotten and crummy? How can we become God? Well, I think we still, well the, the, the Orthodox teachers, too, have qualified this by saying we become God or even gods by grace, not by nature. But no matter how you look at it, the Theosis idea can take heaven to a whole new level. All right. Uh, we should point out that the Orthodox Church the Orthodox churches do not believe in reincarnation and that there are plenty of unofficial ideas about heaven. Yeah, they're, they're not very dogmatic compared with some of the Western churches, so there are lots of exchanges of ideas. Anyway, uh, here's an example. Uh, the Orthodox have very ancient, lengthy, and elaborate divine services, complete with candles, incense, flowing priestly vestments, and hymns that can date back as far as the 2nd century. You can blame the Byzantines for that. Well, yeah, they, they like to lengthen things out. Anyway, basically, these services are supposed to express what's in the Bible to the whole person, all five senses and beyond. Kind of an interesting concept. Even the interior of the church building, or temple, is set up like the kingdom of God in the book of Revelation. 
Given the Bible's images of angels in heaven praising God, I've actually heard several Orthodox clergy express the opinion that the kingdom of heaven, after the resurrection and judgment, will literally be one long church service, which they thought was a fabulous idea. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, well, that's kind of the point. In one of the most amazing ideas about heaven that I've ever heard, there is an ancient concept in Orthodox Christianity that clearly understands heaven and hell as the same place or the same state of being. For those who love God, it is true bliss. For those who hate him, it is truly hell. Pretty simple and kind of sensible idea in a way. That makes me think of like that kid that's dragged to like a family get-together and he like hates it, but other people like love it. That's just oh, like the one you were at uh, what, last week and the one you're going to this weekend. I didn't hate it. No, I know you didn't. I you had a great time. Though. No, if I was like five, I would have hated it. And you're going to the Eno side this weekend, so heaven oh. help you. All right. All right, we should add that many rank-and-file Orthodox Christians today have been deeply influenced by Western ideas, so their personal idea of heaven can be just as goofy as everyone else's. All right. Well, before moving on, there is one especially fascinating point to be made about the Orthodox view of heaven. There was a major debate in the early church about whether, in the end, everyone, including the devil, would eventually be saved because of the infinite mercy of God, thereby completing the circle of a healed and restored creation in Christ, as so to speak. This debate never completely died out in the Eastern Church. Western Christians, with their, what seems to me, two-dimensional thinking, tend to be, tend to be horrified by this concept. Why go to all the trouble of living the life in Christ or, quote, being saved if everybody will be saved anyway? God may be all merciful, but he's also all just. So this implies what? That the life in Christ isn't worth living for its own sake? That we're monkeys with car keys with no more depth to our faith than what results from reward punishment that we can't learn? Personally, and I'm strictly personally, my own personal opinion, I'm horrified by their horror at the idea that everyone might be saved in the end. I mean, what are we doing here? I know we're talking about heaven, but I have never, and I probably shouldn't get off on this, I'll probably get a lot of people upset, but I have never understood, even through ten years of priestly training, how the idea of an eternal hell ever found acceptance in the human mind. It's not really in the Bible either. You can argue that. The idea of a God who condemns frail, finite people whom he created to infinite punishment for finite crimes is so repulsive to everything I have ever experienced as holy, to every possible concept of justice, that I not only cannot accept it, but I cannot respect the mind or the heart of anyone who does. Temporary hells, separation from God by one's own choice, I've had personal glimpses of those in my paranormal work over the years, especially when working with people who have committed suicide. But I've seen many of them work it out. I know for a fact that there are ways out of hell. Love, especially divine love, can accomplish anything. Now, I strongly suspect that for people in any religion who cling to the idea of eternal hell, it's just a way of believing that, hey, I might be a failure, my life might be messed up, I might be a nobody, but I believe, and at least I have a better faith than those unbelieving SOBs. Okay, so uh, after that, how about the (laughs) Western Christians? Oh dear, my son is a critic. Anyway, while Roman Catholics and Protestants generally believe in the same pattern, before I start, let's take our commercial break because my sense of symmetry is offended if we go past six thirty. Okay, let's, let's just. All right, let's let's take a break so I can get my breath. And okay. everyone else can take a breath too. Hi, I'm Mike Taft, 
a volunteer for the American Cancer Society's Relay for Life Smithfield. Our relay will be held this year in Smithfield High School starting at 4 p.m. Friday, June 24th through the night, ending at 12 noon on June 25th. The beautiful luminaria ceremony is held at dusk to remember those that have lost their battle with cancer. The luminaria are bags that are decorated with candles, usually by a family member. Everyone is welcome and there is no charge to enter. Please come to our event and help us to raise monies for our fight against cancer. This event will be on Rain or Shine. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Ebooks are becoming an attractive alternative to expensive printed books, magazines, and newspapers, and your best deal in ebooks is the Amazon Kindle ebook reader, now priced as low as $189. Get over 900,000 books, newspapers, and magazines electronically delivered right to your fingertips. No more shipping charges, no more $4 a gallon drives to the bookstore, no more bulky and event environmentally unfriendly packaging to get rid of, and read the books you love for as much as half the cost of the print editions. Books available on Amazon Kindle include four of my own, and they include the popular Footsteps in the Attic, no longer available in stores until it's reprinted later this year, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, Faces at the Window, and under my historian's hat, Rhode Island, A Genial History, which I co-authored with Emmy Award-winning TV journalist Glenn Laxton. So check out the Amazon Kindle store at Amazon.com today. It's a great gift at any time of the year, birthday, whatever. Christmas is coming, too, sooner or later. So check it out, Amazon, Kindle, Amazon.com. Okay, we're back, Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno on CB... Uh, no, sorry, wrong, wrong network. W-O-O-N, I'm going to get in trouble for that some, some Yeah, day. yeah, you are. W-O-O-N, 1240 AM and onworldwide.com. And we're in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Okay, we're talking today about... It's part two of our two-show series on the nature of heaven. What is it? Where is it? What is heaven. It? Okay, so we're, we've gotten through just about everybody in history. We have a lot of religions we haven't had time to mention. We finally arrived at Roman Catholics and Protestants, Christians of the Western persuasion, Western tradition. Now, while these folks generally believe in the same pattern, as we've discussed, life in Christ, bodily death, bodily resurrection... They tend to have far more complex and sometimes conflicting official teachings about heaven. There also was a current of what you can call minimalism. What do you have to do, or you have to do at least this or that to get to heaven? What's the minimum you have to do to make it? Now this tends not to be present in Eastern Christian thought. The Roman Catholic Church, like the Orthodox, was deeply influenced by Greek philosophy and has always felt that it has to define and pigeonhole everything, including heaven. And sometimes Catholic teachers don't always put heaven in the same pigeonhole. Now, according to the Encyclopedia of Catholicism, whose general editor, Father Richard P. McBrien of Notre Dame University, is a dear and lifelong friend of mine, defines heaven thus, quote, the perfect and final completion of human life in union with God. As the personal participation in the resurrection of Christ, heaven is the result of acceptance of God's grace in one's life, unquote. Now, the section goes on to outline the biblical teachings from Genesis through Revelation. Heaven is as the place of God's dwelling in the heavenly, heavenly court. The Catholic Church's teaching, uh, usually construed as a spiritual place or state of being, and it goes on to suggest various variations on all these ideas. Older Catholics in North America, however, grew up with the so-called Baltimore Catechism, which reduced every possible Catholic teaching to a brief question and answer. 
to the question, what is heaven, which interestingly comes about ten questions after what is hell, uh, the answer was, heaven is the state of everlasting life in which we see God face to face and, ma- and ma- made like him un- unto, I'm, so- I'm sorry, are made like unto him in glory and enjoy eternal happiness, unquote. Is this the same vision as in the Encyclopedia of Catholicism? Frankly, I can't tell. And I have two seminary degrees. Okay, how about the Protestants? Well, there are literally thousands of varieties of Protestants, Ben, and these range all the way from garden-variety mainstream churches, uh, many of which have become very theologically and socially liberal, all the way to ultra-conservative fundamentalist groups. Now, surprisingly, though, there is a strong concept throughout Protestantism of the biblical idea of the renewed earth, the earth remade after the coming of Christ. There is a current of opinion among the more liberal churches that God intends humans to bring this about themselves, to bring about this renewal themselves, uh, undoubtedly by establishing some socialist workers' paradise. Uh More conservative groups tend to favor the more traditional idea that Christ will return and do it himself. Still, there is that strong Zoroastrian idea that people die, their souls separate from their bodies, and they go either to heaven or to hell, presumably to come back to life, just long enough for the general resurrection and general judgment. Now, frankly, I've never understood quite why people who have already been sent to hell have to be resurrected and judged, only to be sent back to hell, presumably in their complete physical form. seems to me that these concepts can get rather muddled when you really think about them. All right, so now we can come to what most people really believe about heaven. All right, now for many years, I've gathered information about various religions, uh, with special attention to what they teach and what their people actually believe. And I found a real disconnect there. Now, this is not a scientific poll, as they say on the news uh, stations. So I suspect that popular ideas about heaven uh, might well result from religious leaders failing to convey official teachings to ordinary people in an understandable way. Maybe that wouldn't make any difference, even if they did. So let's return to our Encyclopedia of Catholicism for an example. And let's read again that definition. The perfect and final completion of human life in union with God as the result, I should say, as the personal participation in the resurrection of Christ, uh, heaven is the result of acceptance of God's grace in one's life, unquote. Now, how do you define union with God? What do they mean by personal participation in the resurrection? What is grace? You know, I went through years and years of Catholic education, and I was in the seminary, as I say, for 10 years, nobody ever explained some of these basic things. I had to kind of figure them out for myself. I'll give you one example. In the creed, one thing that always bothered us kids was the, the, the part that says, Jesus Christ you know, died on the cross and descended into hell. Well, we thought he ascended to heaven. What's this descended into hell business? Nobody ever explained it. Not the nuns, not the theology professors. And of course, what it means is that death took one whom it thought was a man, found it to be God, and was destroyed by the very nature of what he is. That's the theology behind that. So that, that makes sense. Hell, if you, once you read it in, in, in the original Greek, is death. So that's what it meant. But nobody ever said that. I don't think that the teachers or religious leaders convey very well many of their teachings to their own people. So, will that be that as it may? Uh, most people in Western society today believe that what 
I guess they believe what they want to believe about heaven and everything else, regardless of their religions. More people than ever in modern times are taking their spirituality seriously, however, and I think that's great. More people are voluntarily switching religions now than at any other time in history. Now, you used to find, when I looked at this 20 years ago, people would sometimes switch religions, but very often because they married someone who was a Protestant, but they would very rarely switch traditions, if I can call them that. In other words, you'd, you'd find a Baptist who might become a Catholic because he married a Catholic, or a, uh, an Episcopalian who might become a, a Methodist because she married a Methodist, that sort of thing. Uh, or sometimes people would just do it because they didn't like where they were, but that was rare. But you would very rarely find a Christian becoming a Jew, or a Jew becoming a Muslim, or a Hindu becoming a Christian. But now you see that more than you ever did, even in other parts of the world. People are thinking, at least. So, nevertheless, the majority of workaday people still belong to a given religion because their parents did. That's my opinion. They will claim this affiliation whether they actually participate in that religion or not. Many Christians will adamantly claim the title even though they haven't attended church service in years. And the average ideas about heaven strike me as almost cartoonish. There is little or no conception of the general resurrection or the physical renewal of the earth. Now, I'm talking, again, I'm talking about the average person on the street who has no theological education. And you have popular ideas learned from Hollywood rather than from church or synagogue or mosque. You die and your soul goes to heaven, which is somewhere in the sky. I always found that very interesting. Or hell, which is somewhere underground. If you're a Roman Catholic, maybe you go to purgatory, which could be anywhere. In a belief that I've never quite understood, the average person believes that souls are spirits, but that heaven and hell are physical places. I don't really get that. How do you get to heaven? Well, many average people today seem to regard God as some sort of cosmic vending machine. They go to the mosque on Friday, the temple on Saturday, the church on Sunday. Things will go better for them in life, and they'll have a sort of insurance policy for the afterlife. Amid this group, I've encountered people who literally think that God is an old man with a white beard, something like a celestial Santa Claus. Maybe they go to services, but they maybe they don't go to services, but they contribute money, and they assume that God will bless that. The minimalist attitude is everything here. I mean, what's the least I have to do to pass muster and get into heaven? The person on the street concept of heaven itself is very Muslim. You get immediate gratification, and you have no more worries. You can eat all the food you want without getting fat. And that's not bad for a disembodied spirit, eh, Ben? No, not at all. And, of course, you will be with all your loved ones and friends. I often wondered what happened if you didn't like them. I don't know. (laughs) Now, I've met people who believe that they will literally live on a cloud uh, where there will be rainbow bridges. You were were part of that conversation. Okay. Well, you know, very innocent, loving, you know, salt-of-the-earth person, but we kind of rolled our eyes. Now, I've met others who are deeply worried that their pets won't be in heaven or that they will actually have to sing hymns all day. Hopefully they're not orthodox and they're one long church service, right? (laughs) Sometimes this stuff actually gets preached from the altar. Several years ago, I was at a Roman Catholic funeral of a friend's wife in Rhode Island, and she had been an avid golfer. I sat there in amazement as the priest went on and on about how she was now in heaven. Hopefully she was, but how could he know that? and was playing all the golf she wanted without greens fees. That's a quote. Then heading for the clubhouse, where she could eat all the cake and pie she wanted without getting fat. Leaving the church, I shook the priest's hand with a pungent comment about his eccentric eschatology. He stared at me. Eschatology is the branch of theology that deals with stuff like this, death, judgment, and all that. 
but not cake and pie. Just as modern ideas about the paranormal, especially ghosts, are infested with the ideas of the 19th century spiritualists, a religion we haven't even mentioned yet, so is the average concept of heaven. You die, and if you manage to cross over, you suddenly know everything and become some kind of a super being who's able to help your family and friends. Sounds like Nietzsche was involved in this. <laughs> yeah, he was. But somehow I see a little problem here. If these people believe in this Warner Brothers heaven, how can they also believe in reincarnation and ghosts, uh, which most of the ones I speak with seem to? You know, you get my point. In other words, I always ask these people who believe in reincarnation, which I don't, not in the classic sense, anyway. Uh, well, how co- if there's reincarnation, how come there's so many ghosts? We, we're always busy with this kind of thing. Uh, or if there's heaven, why is there reincarnation? I mean, then people just don't seem, it doesn't seem to phase them. Uh, to me, the whole thing sounds supremely boring, actually. So we come to the big one. What really happens when your body dies, and what is heaven? All right. Well, all I can do to answer that is to tell you what I believe. And Ben can speak for himself. And what I believe is based on what I have seen and experienced in paranormal research over the last 40 years, and that has led directly to an awareness of the multiverse that we always talk about and the infinite forms of life and energy within it. Just about the only thing that can't happen in the multiverse is death, not even physical death. Our lives are so vast, stretching across endless worlds and forms, endless ages, and sharing the lives not only of all other forms, but of God, there can be no such thing as death. It's not physically possible. As the great astrophysicist Sir Fred Hoyle suspected, life is the rule, not the exception in the universe. So whatever happens to us, it isn't death. The departure of the consciousness from a body that has been used up in some obscure corner of the multiverse like this one is no more serious than a leaf falling off a tree. That's because you are the whole tree, not just the leaf. But here's the thing. Because all possible forms of reality exist, all possible outcomes and forms of heaven must exist too. So that woman who is playing golf and having and eating all the pie and cake she wants... That probably is happening somewhere, someone. So you did, yeah, and you stole my thunder because that's what I was going to say next. I know. So anyway, by, by that measure, every belief about heaven that we've discussed in these two shows is true, somewhere and some when. It might be couched in complex doctrine, lost in cultural misunderstandings, and even seem like a Disney movie. But as Ben just said, our golf enthusiast, even though she's dead here, is thriving elsewhere and else when. Certainly in some worlds where the physics are very different. The good lady herself is probably playing golf with, he's without greens fees and stuffing away sweets without getting fat. Sounds good to me. The real key is, it's apparently all up to you. I believe that we truly make our own bed in the multiverse, and ultimately, so do all the religions that we've been talking about in these two shows. You share the life of God, and I think that in the end, you judge yourself. The place, time, and state your conscious mind stretches to after you use up where you are now probably takes the path of least resistance, like everything else in nature. If you're a selfish jerk with no clue about that unity and love that we always talk about, because that's what it's all about, you'll continue to be a selfish jerk, and this is a kind of rebirth the Buddhists and Hindus dread. No growth, stagnation, certainly is a kind of spiritual death. If you're a predator who lives off the weak and takes joy in the suffering of others, 
someone ferociously egocentric, there are backward steps in the multiverse too. Worlds of endless aloneness, even terror for the terrible. Call it hell, and you won't be wrong. I've seen it in my own paranormal travels, and I, I, let, me, let, me, let me clarify that. I have actually dealt in paranormal cases over the years, over the decades, with people who have successfully committed suicide and exist in worlds of endless aloneness. If, on the other hand, you've realized that you are nothing without the rest of us, or at least without your loved ones, your consciousness probably will shift to a world where you're already a benevolent ancestor or a guide for others, perhaps a human angel, bodily, body and all. Bodily death means nothing but a quick, perhaps immediate shift from one of, your, one of your physical forms to another, very much like changing the channel on your television set or changing a bulb on a string of lights. These lives exist in your subconscious already. Taking this idea to the max, you also might switch to the consciousness of a benign, but to us completely alien world and life form. But on with life you go, one way or the other. Each of us is going through bodily death at one or another place in the multiverse at every moment. That car you nearly stepped in front of, you did step in front of somewhere or somewhere else. In a thousand other corners of the multiverse, the benign growth you just had removed by the doctor was a deadly cancer. The transition of bodily death is probably the root experience of our entire existence. In the meantime, the question arises, why do we have to go through bodily death at all? Especially when there's loss and suffering involved. What's the point of these frequent shifts of consciousness from one world to another? For the same reason that popular concepts of heaven we've talked about eventually would turn out to be hell. Boredom. Oh, yeah. It's like that Twilight Zone episode where that guy thought he went to heaven because he got everything he wanted, but then it turned out he was in hell because he was just so bored. I remember that. You always torpedo me. Well, that's why I don't watch these things because I can have plausible deniability. I did not get this idea from the Twilight Zone. Although, I'm not the only one who thinks of these things, you know. No, I just Rod thought of it. I thought very was... much like I do, apparently. But uh, anyway, thank you, Ben. You're welcome. Anyway, for, when it comes to boredom, we're just not built for it. Like our whole biosphere, the whole community of life across all these many worlds, we are creatures created not only to create, but to change. Nothing is more deadly to us than sameness. Our minds grow dull and numb. Ex- excitement dies within us. We have nothing to look forward to. No matter how rich we may be, no matter how many big screen TVs or six-packs or distractions we use, boredom is a death sentence for the human soul and mind. We need change and hopefully growth. The experience of bodily death is the signature and root of that change. Bodily death is our ticket to survival. And in doing so, we choose our own heaven and hell. All right, that... That's those. That's our business on heaven and hell. I think we'd welcome any of your comments. People have commented. You know what I was going to do now is read a lot of emails we've received from people. We did ask people to send in their own thoughts about heaven and hell. But you know when I looked at them, I thank people for sending them in. But some of them, I guess, were were intended to be jocular, and people were joking around. You know, I, that's that's fine. But I'm not going to put it on the air. Uh, other people wrote in things that were really so silly that I, I just didn't want to subject them to ridicule. But again, who says they're wrong? All things are possible. All things change. We need them to change. Maybe that's exactly what does happen. So I think we have some time for some emails, but not those. Okay, right. well, we have about uh, a, little, a little over ten minutes. Right, right, we're okay. fine. 
All right. Okay, this is... Um, hmm. I, I'm going to... I don't know. If, did we do this last week? I think we might have. Uh, that, that email? Yeah, I know. This, this really that. short one. You should, you should just get rid of the ones that... Well, I usually do. Oh, you've already read this one. No, no, but I want to do it again because it's an right. important... Okay. This, okay. Yeah. Again, who's the, who's the dad here, anyway? We're right. both the dad. Yeah, seemingly. Okay. That's what mom says. Uh, okay, this is from Mitch in Phoenix, Arizona, and he has a very important question that I want to repeat here. Okay, so how can a person get rid of these negative parasites? All right, now we're always talking about parasites and things of that kind, negative entities that are, in folklore, the basis of demons, evil spirits that everybody around the world has experienced and uh dealt with in every culture and this sort of thing so uh, no, we have read this before I wanted to just say y- you, you do so by being by bringing in positive energy to cut off the food supply of negative energy to these things these are not servants of Satan they're not spirits they're life forms which I have ev- I have profound personal evidence are perfectly physical and they um, they seem to prey upon our negative energy and they seem to move among worlds much more readily than we can I would say you begin, and we get this question all the time, and I can't answer every, every one individually, which is why I'm answering it again on the air. Go to our website, newenglandghosts.com. If you go to behindtheparanormal.com, our show site, there is a link to newenglandghosts.com. And when you go there, uh, click on, go to newenglandghosts.com and look for, down at the bottom on the left, I'm going to have them make it more prominent on the site, but... There are a bunch of links on the left. Go to the very bottom one, and it says what to do if you think you have a ghost problem. That will give you some initial pointers on how to deal with, among other things, these negative uh, entities and these, these parasites, as we call them. And you'll find that it, if, if you follow the instructions, it isn't necessarily all that difficult um, to do so. So we would ask that you uh, check that out, newenglandghosts.com, and find out... Um, exactly what you need to find out. If you have further problems, you're certainly welcome to write to us about these things. Okay, now here, oh, here's one that is um, kind of uh, short. major attack, kind of short, and it's from uh, Anna Marie in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, she writes to us, Something jumps on my bed. It feels like it may have four feet, not certain. Uh, I do not see anything. If I push it away, it jumps back on the bed. I'm just trying to keep it interrupting, but I want to hit each point. Okay, very often we hear of things on the bed. We've had people tell us that they actually, there there are photographs of this if they aren't fake. The image or or the impression of an animal or a human sitting on the bed, and of course you can't see the animal or human. We were dealing with, or I was dealing uh, in a support group that I had been running a year or two ago with a woman in New York City who actually had photographs of a uh, translucent or transparent creature, like a cat or a dog, would jump up on her bed and sit there, and you could see the impression. You could even see the uh, shadow of the creature itself. And this is a common event. People, beds are, are centers of, of course, our sleep and our rest, but also of great, uh, if you want to call them psychic energies, I hate to use the term because there's not so much baggage, but it's true, that uh, will manifest before we enter sleep and after we enter. You know, it's interesting about the word psychic. This is a little going away from what we're talking about, but the, it usually means mind energy, not. That's true. That, yeah. that was the original meaning of it, not like some sort of magic power or That's whatever. That's right. Well put. Okay, so uh, just to, to tell uh, here that this is a common occurrence of the, this 
things sitting on beds. Go ahead. Okay, it goes to the female organs, and it feels like it feels like a drilling sensation, and actually hurts. Then the same sensation on the other parts of my body it rocks my body to wake me. I can't sleep for months now. I, All right, I, right, hold on. Okay. All right, this sounds like the old folk concept of the incubus and the succubus. These are common, mentioned in horror movies and this thing. But there was a concept in folklore of these entities that would sexually molest people when they were trying to sleep, and this does happen. Uh, there have been uh, much uh, speculation about it in psychology, of course, much speculation about it in uh, as far as f- physical problems uh, manifesting in this way, uh, various forms of sleep disorders. But this is also something that is unfortunately very common with people. And I take it case by case. Uh, you don't just assume that this is happening in a supernatural manner, paranormal manner, but there could be other things going on. So uh, obviously this person is, is physically attacked by these entities, which I have seen happen. It's, uh, uh, I've had physical altercations with them myself, so go ahead. All right. Uh, she sleeps in shifts now. Anything I can do, question mark, using the white light, which helps, spiritual music and prayers. I'm a long-time spiritual person. I use used every technique I could think of. Even went to a shaman uh, uh, who also came to my ha- my uh, home. Uh, I have been in this 90-year-old home for two years. The situation started two months ago, and uh, I used uh, shattertherdarkness.com techniques uh, to get rid of the dark being, and it didn't change. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very, very much. Okay. All right. Well, I would say, again, go to that particular... Uh site, newenglandghosts.com, and look at the what to do if you believe you have a ghost problem, and start with that. The, it's not a one-size-fit-all answer, but in a way, it can be when you're dealing with negative entities. Bring in positive energy, cut off the negative food supply. So start with that. And uh, I, I certainly have found in many cases these things can be can be very true. At other times, people have uh, other issues. But um, I would say start with the positive energy. No matter what's happening, that can help you. Okay, now here we are with uh, another one. This is from... Oh, no, I'm not going to read that one. Okay, Some, Something really short. Yeah, we don't have something that's really short. Okay, well, let's, let, we're not going to have a chance to finish. Oh, here's, this one's not so bad. Well, right. that, 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 oh, that's, that's the one you don't want to answer. Right. Okay, so in any case, we hope we have given you some information about heaven tonight. We'd love to hear all your uh, responses to this. Thank you. And uh, or you can write to us, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com or certainly call us anytime when we're on the air here on ON 1240 AM uh, and ONWorldwide.com. And we'd love to hear your responses to what we have, uh, have said tonight. So, Ben, do you have anything else to say about karma? I know I was kind of monopolizing the show tonight. Karma, are any, are any, any of your thoughts on this? What, okay. what do young people think heaven is? Or do they even think about it or talk about it? Most people I talk to don't care. But, don't um, care. No. Well, why does it matter to think about death when you have so much other stuff going on around you? Most other people I know are too busy with work and doing other yeah. things. And young people are indestructible. Well, I'm not that young. I'm almost 20. Well, compared with me, you're pretty young. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, like... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like some people think they're indestructible. I mean, I'm I'm one of a very rare breed. I don't hang out with a lot of normal people mm. by the regular concept of normal, whatever that might be. And messed up. Well, yeah, I guess. So most people I talk to don't really 
care about like the afterlife they usually think I don't know I never really talked with most people about like because mm. it doesn't come with normal conversation like I sit down at lunch at like CCRI I'm like so what do you guys think of the afterlife <laughs> and well if they know who you are you'd think they'd want to talk about it well they don't usually want to talk about that they want to talk about ghost stories basically oh okay well you know when you think of it you pick up the paper unfortunately at least once a month and a young person has been killed in a traffic accident especially here in the northeast where you know there's a lot of traffic and uh, how do they I notice when that happens in high schools and when it happens even in college they bring in grief counselors and this sort of thing because we don't see death today and I think that that's that's spiritually bad yeah there was one person I knew because some some kid in Burrowville I, I remember him too he was a nice guy he got he got hit by a drunk driver. Yeah, and like so many people were like devastated, and I was just like, "Wow, is this how people react to death?" I mean, I've been to funerals and stuff, but I never really consider it that considered it that that big of a deal. Not that's not the right way to put well, no, it. But but we, we live with this multiverse awareness. It doesn't mean that much to us in in the big picture. I mean, we, we care. We miss people. Well, as we were saying on a previous show, you know, my mother, your grandmother, just yeah. passed two months ago, was translated, and and uh, but the experience was very different. It's very different. Yeah, I don't even feel like she, I honestly don't even feel like she left. No, because like, she didn't. Yeah, that's and just, and we are. It's it's not that she's still here. It's we're there. Yeah, whatever world she's in, we're sharing life. I feel that, and I don't feel any great loss. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm rejoicing in, in the feeling of this. Okay, so anyway, we're um, going to kind of flat out of time here. So, anyway, thank you for listening tonight, folks. And um, then once well, you give that's us our, all we have right now, and we'd love to hear your own thoughts. So contact us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com, or you can contact me, uh, ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Remember, you can check out our show website, www.behindtheparanormal.com. There are free podcasts and guest information and links to our main site. And we want to thank our producer, Steve Bianchi. We'll see you next Monday, June 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com. Ben and I will welcome renowned author and paranormal researcher Nick Redfern for a discussion of what he says are real men in black. So and tune into our... Um, I'm sorry? No, no, fine. Just, just do it. Just do it. All right, go. All right. CBS Radio Edition in uh, Sunday night, Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle. June 26th, we'll welcome a very distinguished guest, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Canada's former Minister of National Defense, who says he has learned to believe in UFOs. In the meantime, we leave you with a quote from that great guy, Edgar Casey: You don't go to heaven, you grow to heaven. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.